Hi, I'm David Herskovitz, and you're listening to Light Culture, brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Burb strives to build on the city's legacy of cannabis tolerance and its gift to the world, BC Bud. Follow us on Instagram, at ShopBurb, and subscribe to this podcast at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture. Steve Bloom has had a distinguished career as an author, music critic, High Times editor, and founder of CelebStoner.com, a website that tracks celebrities and their evolving relationship with the plant. Not only has he written extensively about famous cannabis consumers like Snoop Dogg, Cypress Hill, Woody Harrelson, and many, many more, he has also had the pleasure of smoking with many of them as well. At first, celebs were hesitant to be associated with High Times, but they all jumped on the proverbial bandwagon after Cypress Hill kicked it off as the first major band to appear on the cover. Little did he know that being on the cover of High Times would become a gateway into the industry itself, with many of his subjects going on to take leading roles in the burgeoning cannabis. He recalls how Dave Chabelle was hesitant to be photographed for the cover holding weed for fear of jeopardizing a deal he had with Disney, and how Bill Maher likes to talk the talk but still refuses to have his picture taken smoking a joint. Times have certainly changed and Bloom has been around long enough to chronicle its goings-on from multiple directions. The political machinations of marijuana fascinate him and he fingers the U.S.'s schizophrenic legalization policies for the vaping deaths. An expert in the subgenre of stoner films and stoner bands, he might be surprised by Bloom's picks for the greatest of all time. In a life lived on the high, he's had the pleasure of smoking with many of his personal heroes, but nothing beats making it into the inner sanctum of Willie Nelson's bus, a bucket list item if there ever was one. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Today, my guest is Steve Bloom, not only a, a longtime friend and journalist, but also someone who's been in the game of cannabis for 30 years, going all the way back to his early days at High Times, to his current position at Celeb Stoner. And he's an author. He's a entrepreneur at this point as well, given your other connections, no? Yeah, I'm not out there to make money on cannabis, to be honest, but I'll let other people do that. Right. You could have made a lot of money if you got in the game years ago. Yeah, I have a couple of shares in one of the companies <laughs> I work for. No, but you could have been selling it, you know. Uh, who says I haven't done that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what, what do you think is the single biggest issue facing uh, cannabis today? Vaping. <laughs> oh, yeah? Is that just because of... Well, number one in the news because of, you know, the uh, the controversy around, you know, people dying from vaping and having lung, you know, issues. That's probably the number one issue right now at the moment that the industry is facing. And people think that that's because of an additive or something that was done that has nothing particularly to do with the cannabis itself? Yeah, it's bootleg moonshine cannabis oil that people are making you know you can get it legal in 11 states but you can't in 39 so in the other 39 places like new york people are looking for those cool little vape pens that are very discreet and convenient and hey why can't we use those too but you only can get them legally in the 11 states or where medical is allowed 
you have to be a medical patient for that. So people want that, you know, and companies are making outlaw products, you know, and this is just not like growing it in, in your closet or in your warehouse uh, and putting out flour and selling that. And generally there's no problem with that. It's just whether it's good or bad or you like it or you don't like it, you're not going to get sick from it. But this stuff is, you know, has additives. You first of all make it with butane and then you're adding dilutants to try and cut it. And uh, you're putting things in it that you not probably shouldn't be smoking. So do you think it's just a matter of now that these companies who are making this, obviously it's going to hurt their business, so they're going to try to eliminate it. So do you think it's just a matter of something that happened accidentally and now it will be straightened out and everything will just go back to how it was? I don't know. I don't know how things get straightened out so quickly like that unless you really put these uh, black and market companies out of business and the you know, law enforcement really goes after these companies that are selling these products, however they're selling them. For instance, if you're buying from a delivery service in New York and you're buying a, uh, a vape cartridge, you know, where's that coming from? You just don't know. So it's not tested unless it's coming from a legal state. And it really shouldn't be leaking out of the legal state because they keep an eye on all their products. Uh, so where are you getting it? So, you know, the argument now is just stick the flower, you know, just uh, it, right for the time being. Or make sure if you're getting vape cartridges, get it from a legal state where it's tested. So do you think that what you're saying is that if it was legal nationally, we wouldn't have this problem? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, all these problems really, uh, all these gray area products that come out in the marijuana world, like the Spice and K2 products that have had problems over the years, that's a spray, a synthetic cannabis spray that gets sprayed on herbs and people smoke it and you get a little buzz out of it. But, you know, How's that being made? So it's also being done, you know, on the moonshine side of the market, you know, where people are just making this stuff up on their own and selling it, you know, on the streets, black market, and some people get sick from it. So as long as marijuana is illegal federally, you're going to have these types of problems are going to pop up. Do you remember the Parquat or what? Paraquat. Paraquat. Well, that was a government thing. You know, the government, you know, U.S. government sprayed Paraquat on Mexican marijuana plants. And then came, then the products came into the U.S. And there was a scare that people are going to get sick from the pesticide, which really was kind of a scare, more to scare people off from marijuana than it really was causing any kind of particular problems. So you think generally the legalization, the way it's rolled out, obviously it's different in, in different states, is the way it should continue or would you change anything? Well, who doesn't want federal legalization if, you know, if you're an advocate? You know, that's sort of the, the main goal is to change on the federal level and the prohibition of marijuana that started in 1937. You know, states have been doing it individually, but federally it's still, you know, the states are going against the feds and there's been that kind of issue, you know, where in some cases the, the feds are okay with it and in some cases they're not and they'll crack down or they won't crack down. Pretty much it's sort of been hands off during the Obama era and now during the Trump era, they really haven't spent a lot of effort going after legal marijuana in the legal states. But, you know, there's also conversation about deregulation versus legalization because legalization, as currently constituted, it creates a two-tier system, right, where you have the, the underground, which continues to stay in business, and then you have the legal, which has to go through all these hoops to get their licenses and, and efficiently, you know, operate their businesses. But, in, you know, leaving a lot of these small growers and people in jeopardy 
who, for one reason or another, either can't get legal, won't, don't want to get legal, but are you know have had generations uh, producing the plant, have actually created the the foundation for the whole industry as we know it today. So how can we reconcile all of that with those people who have put in the hard work and risk their you know lives in many cases, risk going to jail and so on, and and keep them in the game without leaving legalization at the same time. Well, bring down the high cost of marijuana. I think that's what keeps the black market going. And even in legal states, when you're still charging $400 an ounce for marijuana and black market, you know, sellers can sell it to you for 300 then it's going to leave the up opportunity open for, you know, for illegal sales. So, you know, there's sort of this greedy grab for money in the legal states, you know, 30 40% tax rates. It's insane. You know, so got to bring the tax rates down and bring the price of marijuana down. It was great in the last couple of years where the price has gone down in Oregon to like a dollar a gram and things like that, which is where it really should be. Marijuana shouldn't be that expensive. No. You know, it's ironic that in places like Northern California, the home of marijuana in a lot of cases, a lot of that industry has sort of ground to a halt. A lot of the growers who founded the industry don't have a place in the new California economy because it's too expensive for them to buy in. Yeah. Well, they're also being shut down now, aren't they? And have have plants confiscated and only fall. only if they're growing illegally. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're mostly they're, they're mostly growing. growing they're mostly growing. Well, I mean, if they're growing illegally and selling, you know, in, in a in a kind of any kind of grand scale. But I think that crackdown in California is mostly directed at like Mexican drug gangs and things like that have been growing illegally in national forests for years. Oh, really? So you don't think it's affecting the like the farmers that. Uh, have been I don't think they're going after them. They're yeah. just going to the national forest. They don't like the illegal mm. use of water and the you know and the damage that they create in the forest and things like that. So I think that's where the crackdown is. You know, although there there is cracking down, and I've been told you know in say in places like New York, it's a little harder to get illegal cannabis into New York now because it was usually coming from places like California and Colorado, and they're doing a lot more to crack down on the black market. So it's a little harder to buy, you know, interstate, mm -hmm. you know, underground and ship it to New York. Well, there's a whole other trend in, in relation to that, which is sort of the craft weed, like the strains, the super high-end product, so-called, that people are charging a lot more for, that people seem to be willing to pay for it right now. Do you have any... Well, since I'm in New York, I don't really see that so much. You know, we're still at the mercy of whatever comes into town, you know, and, you know, what do you got? And, okay, I'll take it, you know, versus, you know, having multiple choices that you can walk into a dispensary and pick, you know, the low end to the mid to the high end. Oh, I want to spend a lot of money on that craft strain or I'll go with the low end mid, which is cheaper. So we still are very much behind the curve in New York. And it's sad that New York couldn't legalize it in this last Albany session. You know, they just had a chance and they just, couldn't do it, nor did New Jersey. I know. It sucks. <laughs> that sucked. Because <laughs> I, I, I was expecting, hoping something. But now, who knows? I mean, because now you have the vape problem and whatever else that may come up that's going to give ammo to the opposition that wants to, you know, still... It could slow it down, but I mean, ultimately, it'll 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 end up getting legalized. But they're going to do it at their slow speed for whatever their reasons. Meanwhile, people are literally going to Massachusetts from New York and stocking up and coming home with a with a big stash. So we're giving you know the tax money to Massachusetts when we could making be making it ourselves. Every time that story breaks in the post and the news, everybody's written us, "New Yorkers flocking to Massachusetts for legal weed." That would 
be the telltale sign to them, hey, we better legalize it because just financially we're losing out. You know, let's just do this, you know, and get past the moral issues of whether marijuana is good or bad or kids are smoking or all that stuff. The reality is people are smoking and they're going to go find it somewhere and they're going to Massachusetts to get it. People are, you know, in the industry that I talk to, everyone is sort of waiting for New York. You know, sort of New York is going to be is the final straw. If if and when it goes legal, then it's going to force the national acceptance as well. And you know, when the U.S. can become a big player in the in the scene, because right now, you know, I work a lot in Canada and and where they have national legalization, and as a result. The banks are, you know, able to use the money, pass the money through the system. And Canada has become kind of a jumping off point for cannabis companies to go national and global because it's permitted there. Whereas in the U.S., you can't do any of that. So every little state is limited by what you can only do within that state. Yeah. So meanwhile, so Canada is becoming like sort of the global center. Yeah, it's sort of the litmus, litmus test here, I think. Let's, let's see how it goes in Canada and then we'll do it here. You know, federally legalizing it seems to be going great. I mean, of course, there's you know issues here and there that everyone has constantly, and that that's going to take time to 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 figure out. But it's obviously it's there. It's working. People are. What's interesting, uh, Canada, the number one province. I'll give you a quiz. What do you think the number one province for cannabis in Canada is right now in terms of the well, most say sales? Ontario. It's not yet. Ontario took a little while to get their stores going. Alberta, of all places. Oh. Uh, way beyond British Columbia, which has had a slow rollout. But Alberta just jumped in right away. Hey, we're going for this. And uh, so, you know, things are, you know, moving ahead. They're starting to make edibles available. That's but, coming up. Yeah, right, slowly but surely, you know, getting things. I mean, some people were not happy with legalization in Canada. They didn't like the no. approach to it, especially a lot of the uh, the British Columbia activists who kind of liked it the way it was. and. Don't think it's kind of fair the way they kind of did it, but I, I like it. I'm happy. I'm happy they moved ahead in Canada. It's a great sign for the rest of the world that a big country like Canada can move ahead with cannabis. And the only other country that's done it is Uruguay, and it's a small country down in South America. Is there a single cause or influence group or or who you know what is responsible for the cannabis coming to the acceptance to the even to the level that it is today? What happened that changed it, do you think? It's a lot of years of uh, activists knocking on the door. I think that's the main thing. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a lot of people, it's, you know, the High Times magazine and really pretty much an activist publication, Normal, Drug Policy Alliance, Marijuana Policy Project, all those organizations, you know, doing all the, the heavy, you know, work over the years that started to open the door. So, I mean, you know, once one state, which is during, you know, Obama's second term, you know, Obama was elected in 2012, Colorado and Washington went legal. That's what opened the door, you know, finally during, you know, a more slightly permissive period, you know, with Obama as president, Democrats in office, but kind of snuck in the door in those Western states. And that really kind of opened it up. I mean, nine more states have passed since then. And almost all the states that pass, they pass it through these initiatives that are voted on. And those are usually successful. Because mm -hmm. it bypasses the legislature. People yeah, people like to go to the polls and vote for pot. And yeah, and generally the legislatures don't favor it. So what about uh, like the pop culture uh, influence? You know, the fact that, you know, you at High Times, for example, was one of the leaders to start putting bands on who were openly smoking pro-pot 
Cypress Hill as was that the first one yeah, that they were. you highlighted. Yeah, so, they were. And then, you know, since then there's been God knows how many that have yeah, taken the, the beauty at High Times was when we put Cypress Hill on the cover in nineteen ninety two and we followed the Black Crows later that year, it was now a lineup of bands that all wanted to be on the cover of the magazine. Really? Yeah. Just calls left and right. It was really kind of fun to be able to take them all in. But yeah, you know, the you know, the bigger names, the Willie Nelson, Snoop Dogg, Bill Maher, Woody Harrelson, those types of people really addressed this issue years ago. I think, you know, opened a lot of the doors, you know, got people thinking a little bit more about it because they reach a lot of people through their music, through their interviews, through their social media. And then to these days, each and every one of them is now in the business. Right. You know, they jumped in. I mean, the Marley family, they all just jumped into the business. And that's interesting now, too, because there's so many celebrity brands in the cannabis industry now. And a lot of them out of the uh, NFL players who are all jumping in because they think it can be very helpful for them dealing with their injury problems and pain and stuff like that. But even treatment during the, while they're playing, not just They wish, you know. Didn't the NBA make some kind of... I don't uh, think so. no. No, no, No major sports league has passed this. The Olympic Committee has has allowed for C, CBD, and uh, there's a couple of like oh they have oh, that that the basketball league that Ice Cube has you know they're cool oh, with the three the, yeah oh. <laughs> they're cool with CBD nice. so it's on a smaller scale you know the MMA it's not the league but you know the the the, the league that runs MMA they are supportive of CBD so bit by bit you know with oh, the, the guy, mixed martial arts yeah right right what's his name that one guy yeah who's like, yeah he smokes after his uh, after his fights. Well, before even. Before. <laughs> but then you have like Rob Gronkowski, you know, signing up with right. a CBD company last week. And that's indicative of all the football players that are, you know, lining up to jump aboard. But, you know, they see the value of it, you know, because all these guys are doped up heavily with pharmaceuticals to deal with their pain. And they come out of sports, you know, a wreck. And then they're still hooked on this stuff, you know, and they still taking it because they've been taking it all these years and they still have pains and all that. Even when in their post-playing years, they're, you know, a lot of these guys are in bad shape. So they're hoping that CBD can be helpful and maybe combinations with THC also. But CBD is kind of the way in the door without having to mess with THC and the illegal factor. And even CBD remains kind of murky in the law. Hemp was legalized, but CBD wasn't. And it's really kind of the same thing. <laughs> well, that's part of the problem, isn't it? Because they're saying that one of the reasons that they're going to legalization is likely to happen is because the police can't tell the difference. That's true. That's happening now in states that have legalized where hemp is legal. Now it's legal all across the country and with CBD products and people smoking CBD now too, you know, or smoking hemp. So they can't tell the difference, you know, in terms of they'd have to test it and then they'd have to find out, you know, how much THC is in this or is there any at all? And if there isn't, then what's, it's not illegal. Which is complicated and time consuming. But you're not getting high anyways. What's the point? (laughs) Well, this is a whole other story now, which is, has come up with people that I've talked about this with (laughs) The question of, you know, the high, getting high has become like sort of the last thing people like discuss at this point that it's not, you know, it's more about health and wellness and, uh, you know, all these other factors and the sort of the spirituality or the, you know, just the, just the let's get high kind of aspect of it has become like less of a subject because that's a little more controversial, right? It's like, oh, fun. Well, we can't have fun. We're like a Protestant nation. Right. You're not supposed to get, you know, TEC is sort of bad and CBD is good, you know, and, and yeah. you, 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 there's been, you know, the word marijuana is bad and cannabis good. And, you know, all these kind of terminologies and things like that these days in the legal market. But, you know, medical marijuana really opened so many doors, but then it kind of painted it into a bit of a corner 
by helping get marijuana legal that steered marijuana in another direction when ultimately it was really being used for, you know, for euphoria and creativity and joy and socialization and good times with friends and enjoying music and sex or whatever, food, all the things that come along with, you know, just enjoying marijuana. But then it kind of got into this other corner of like, hey, it's good for you too. And okay, you know, it's been proven in certain cases, you know, to be helpful for, for patients. But so that kind of steers it in that direction as well. And that's what's more important than just general usage. Because today that seems to, you know, suggest to people that they can do smoke all day. I mean, you know, even we were trying to, you know, manage our behavior, right? Because we felt like, I'm uh, speaking for myself at least, uh, that, you know, it's not something you need, you know, you should do all day because it's not efficient or effective. You're not going to be able to do your work. You're going to, you know, just space out. But now people feel like they have the license that, you know, they're working on their health or their stress or levels or, you know, whatever excuse that they may have. I have a stomach ache. I think I'm going to go. But if you're a legitimate patient, then you do need it, you know, on a regular dosage. If you're taking three pills of something all day long and you're replacing it with cannabis and you're smoking, you know, so many times a day or or you're eating it or you're taking tinctures. So I understand that. I mean, when it works for you, it's beneficial, especially, you know, cancer patients who can't get food down. Sure. Well, I'm talking, you know, I'm not talking about extreme cancer. I'm talking about just people who are working every day. You know, we walk out here, you'll see all these people and you'll see somebody vaping inevitably in a, in a, few minutes if you just stand outside. I guess that's the equivalent of like carrying around your uh, your little uh, one hitter. What? No, it's like, no, like having a you know having a you know a can of alcohol or you know in your yeah. bag and you're just drinking it as you go along. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, there's you know some people are full time users and they like to use it all the time. Other people are, you know, they they're more sporadic and they just maybe smoke later in the day or sociable or at night or with friends. They don't smoke during the day because there's that famous 420 that right. you know, your people are, right. are very much involved with right. uh, establishing well, that. Whole... Okay, let's say later in the day. You know, yeah. high times we kind of you know is a good time to kind of take a break and you know have a little jovial moments with each other and come up with some fun ideas and maybe write it down and say, okay, look what came out of this little 420 session. So that's okay later in the day. Yeah, at high times, I kind of had to learn how to smoke earlier in the day if I was going to, because some people would come into the office and just go into this back office and smoke, you know, at nine in the morning, and that would be the regular thing throughout the day. It was never my routine, you know, to smoke like that. You know, I had to kind of learn how to do that at high time. So that was... <laughs> Tough job, man. Yes, yeah, so I wasn't forgetful, and I, I learned my lesson was, like, don't do administrative work after I'm stoned. I'm going to, like, forget where I put things, and, you know, totally. I'm going to misfile something. And But for creative purposes, for writing and editing, it's fine. I'm interested in some of the people that you've met and t and smoked with that are celebrities because in addition to the High Times, then you started Celeb Stoner, right? Right. Tell us a little bit about that. What was the genesis of that? Well, at High Times, I uh, kind of veered off from starting as news editor, and so that was kind of a good starting point for me just to learn everything that was going on up there, the the whole history of the movement, the legalization organizations out there, and what was happening. So I kind of learned that, and I kind of took a little break from my music stuff, which I was most known for. I want for. to, yeah, that's, I was going to bring that up. Like, my man here is, is like a huge music expert, I assume you still are, R&B, jazz, right? Right, rhythm and blues. 
bloom, right? Rhythm and bloom. <laughs> but the funny thing is, Steve Hager, who was editor-in-chief of High Times at the time when I was there, he kind of took me off the uh, the news beat because he noticed that I was pushed, putting a lot of music articles in the music, music section. He said, oh, I'll just give you your own section on the back and you can do your own music stuff. And High Times was a little lacking on that at the time. So he kind of like unleashed me. Okay, do the music stuff. And, and so I started covering music as you were saying before, you know, and you had the bands like Cypress Hill and, you know, all those groups who well, came Snoop, along. All Snoop, all in the 90s. The West there was, Coast hip hop. There was a mostly, huge right? movement of all the grunge bands. It was a good, great time. Uh, you know, hip hop, grunge, metal, reggae, you know, in, independent rock, Americana. Everybody was sort of tying, even country, were tying into cannabis around then. So it was a good time to sort of steer the magazine that direction. And like I said, a lot of the bands wanted to be in the magazine, so it wasn't that hard to get them. I mean, initially it was a little hard. I mean, I, I tried, I, I knocked on Ziggy Marley's door through the record label several times and they blew me off. And it's like, Ziggy Marley doesn't want to be in High Times. I mean, Bob Marley was on what High Times cover, one of the most famous covers in the 70s. And just turned out, I don't think they had reached out because to that was like when was that the 90s that was 92 93 but by 94 i got my interview and i got a call one day from from ziggy's label from the publicist saying ziggy wants to do it good because i guess they finally asked him hey high times has been asking but it's, it took a couple of knocks on the door to get some of that stuff done it wasn't automatic but yeah so with all the interest of the bands i steered in that direction and became like the music editor of high times and, uh, you know, music senior editor, my, was my focus on bringing in sort of celebrities into the magazine. And besides, you know, High Times back then, it's like just put a plant on the cover, plant yeah. shot, and that usually would guarantee relatively good sales. But how many times can you do that in a row? So we started to break out the celebrities and bit by bit, you know, you know we have a Snoop Dogg or an Ice Cube or an Ozzy Osbourne or, you know, uh, and we had a really mixed bag of a lot of, you know, interesting bands on the cover, Fishbone and so we just, who was ever knocking on the door we thought might have some sort of, you know, appeal to the to the wider High Times crowd. So so I was doing that pretty regularly, and I veered off also into movie coverage around that time. And, and you know, it's kind of a good period for stoner movies in the mid 90s. to late 90s, Friday, The Big Lebowski, things like that, Half-Baked. Yeah. And so it was a good time for us to zero in on that a little bit too, Dave Chappelle, and, you know, get those kind of cover all those, those sort of comedian actors. But meanwhile, it's still illegal. So here we are, more and more people are coming out publicly as smokers, right? And and as it's illegal. Right, it was everywhere. illegal. And so some of them were careful, like a guy like Chappelle who had to coax, you know, throughout a whole photo shoot to just, you know, like hold on some hold on to some weed because he had some sort of deal with Disney, you know. Uh. And he was like, eh, you know, I'll do my interview, but and then finally put a little twig behind his ear, you know, and that was about how much he would do. Yeah, because they had to be careful because of it being illegal. You know, now, you know. But did anything ever happen to any of those people as a result of being on the cover? Did Nancy Reagan knock <laughs> on the door? No, no not to my knowledge. <laughs> you know, she her her you know influence was long gone. But uh, no, not really. I don't think so. I mean, I think some people are hesitant. I mean, Bill Maher. I never could get him into high times. Knocked on his door a bunch of times. His his thinking was I was preaching to the converted number one, and I think he was hesitant to show off, you know, smoking. We like to have people smoking a joint, holding a pile of pot, something. And I was at a normal conference where Bill Maher was speaking, and I hired a photographer to shoot him backstage at that conference, and I really didn't 
plan it with him in advance, just kind of like hit him with it. Hey, let's do some photos. And he's like, no. I said, not even like your medical bottle or something? No. So some of them really still wanted to stay in their closet. You know, they might want to talk about it on television, but they didn't want to blast it on the cover of High Times. That people could... Yeah, they don't want to blast it all over the cover of High Times. So they were still a little hesitant. But the Snoop Dogs of the world were not. You know, they were really into it, the hip-hop crowd, you know, the more, the merrier. So don't you have to give them a lot of credit for helping bring this out of the closet? I think so. they were so open about it. I think it. so. It was in the yeah, videos. I think so. It was everywhere. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and it was a huge bridge, too, because, you know, High Times was a pretty white publication when I got there. And mm. once we started covering hip-hop, you know, it was a huge crossover. So we had Red Man and Method Man and Wu-Tang and, you know, Cypress and a long list of hip-hop artists as well as rock artists, you know. But it was a good diversity era, the 90s. It wasn't just one or the other. I think that's what made it interesting for me, that there were so many different types of music and musicians from all these different types of music that were interested in weed. You know, as it turns out, it makes sense. You know, it's something that a lot of musicians like to do, especially in the studio when they're creating music. They may not smoke on stage, but afterwards, they're going to probably often a lot of... And going to a lot of those concerts and hanging out with the bands, you know, you'd always find, like, who were the stoners in the band? There was mm. usually the drummer and the guitar player. <laughs> Not always the singer. The singer that watches voice and remember his yeah, words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The drummer could just pound away and go, you know, and and they were always smoking mad pot afterwards, and they kind of look for the high times guy. Mm. So I'd show up and show, hey, there's the guy. What do cool. you got? What I do you got? It. Yeah. And that's what led to um, my celeb stoner because I left high times in 20, uh, 2007 and said, so, okay, what do I do next? And I've been doing all the celebrity stuff, so I figured I'd start a website devoted to that, celeb stoner, celebrities who advocate for marijuana and just a broader cultural look at what's happening in the marijuana world via, you know, music, movies, television, sports, and then cover the news of the day as well, just the general news. So who was your favorite to smoke with of all those, like, celebs? Any uh, great things happen or fun moments that you can remember? I mean, it took years for me to get on the Willie Nelson bus, but that was a highlight. Uh, I waited on the line numerous times and couldn't get on that couldn't get on that bus. And then finally, a few years ago in Atlantic City, and I had a nice session with him. And I uh, started with uh, some vape pens, and he broke out like a big fat joint that you know that he rolled and just said, "Hey, I got one." You know, so he smoked the big fatty with Willie. That's always a highlight. Anybody, whether it's the best weed or not, I don't know. Some people sure. think you know it's the greatest weed, but it's it was really good. Snoop Dogg was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a long photo shoot with him, and I always like to tell people that by the end of that photo shoot, Snoop was asleep on the couch. I had to wake up, <laughs> up and say, Snoop, come on, you got to go, you got to go. Five hours later, that guy didn't want to leave, you know, <laughs> things like that. How about women? Did you have any women involved in, in the weed industry back then or smoke, you know, sort of openly Yeah, it's a good, good question. I mean, we had Mila Jovovich on the cover. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, I remember I had an encounter with Sarah Silverman. That was funny because Sarah, you know, I proposed her for the cover of High Times when she had her move, one of her movies coming out. And, and uh, so the people up at High Times and you know, the higher up people didn't quite know who she was so well. And, you know, so it was kind of proposed when it was kind of then turned down. And then I saw her at an event and, uh, and she said, oh, you're the one who wouldn't put me on the cover of High Times. I said, no, 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 no. I, said, no. And I gave her a joint and I put it in her hand. She went running away and said, okay, great. I got a joint from the guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, Melissa Etheridge, but that wasn't something we did at High Times. So I've interviewed her several times in the more recent uh, post-High Times years. That's 
it's a good question because the women were not as predominant when it came to the celeb stoners. Whoopi Goldberg has uh, jumped aboard. She has her own company now, but she's not a big smoker per se, but she uses it for her own medical purposes. She has glaucoma. So it's you know a little hit and miss on the female side. The men on the celebrity side tend to be the ones that are more open about it. How's Woody Harrelson? Woody's cool. I mean, I did some smoking with him at, a, uh, at the Toronto Film Festival a few years back and uh, just happened to be up there for some reason. He had a movie and there was a that was a movie that High Times was promoting at the time. And mm. so a uh, little contact with him too. Woody also had his uh, hemp advocacy. So he was connected to High Times. Another editor at High Times had interviewed him several times because he had gotten arrested for planting a hemp seed in Kentucky. Mm. And so that's where he had started his advocacy. And then he moved over to, you know, to full, time, full cannabis, not just hemp. Because now with the social media and Instagram, everybody's posting their pictures of constantly smoking, right, of celebrities and people are proudly. So has that affected how you cover all of that in, in Celeb Stoner? Because it seems like you're very news, getting more news focused, less celeb. Is that? No, no. I, I try no? to cover the celebs as much as possible. Um, you know, the question is what's out there to cover that we haven't covered in the past and just constantly add somebody to our lists. I added Ziggy Marley recently. I just did a thing on Peter Fonda as more of a legendary character with the 50 years of uh, Easy Rider. Yeah, I wanted here. to say that, uh, talk about that for a minute because you also do like the great, uh, your book, Pot Culture where you have lists of all kinds of great, like the, the most, uh, the stoner films of, of all time. And uh, recently you, you highlighted the Easy Rider is the, is the, the number one I stoner so. film. I Why is that? So. What makes a great stoner film? Well, in, the, in that particular case, because so much of what happened in that movie had not really been done before in movies, you know, just sitting around the campfire smoking a joint and teaching somebody how to how to do it, you know, the famous scene with Fonda mm. and Nicholson, you know, we kind of take that for granted that's been done in a thousand movies since, but that was really the first movie to openly just do that and didn't, you know, there wasn't any kind of debate pro and con over it. It was just, this is what the hippies were kind of doing back then. I just think that's a watershed movie uh, with, Hopper Fonda and Nicholson, Terry Southern being one of the writers, is you know, sort of a breakthrough for that point in time. And when you think about it, you know, I was looking looking at Fonda's career. I mean, certain, yeah, Yuli's Gold was great for him later on, but it was really certainly his early peak. And the guy didn't have the greatest career when you look at his film career, filmography. It's not really a great filmography. Well, so. he kind of dropped out for a while, didn't he? Go live on a boat. And I heard some interviews after he died Yeah, that... He, he wasn't really that into make it being like a big star. He never really did that much. And he kind of like Hopper too. You know, Hopper had sort of a comeback later on, you know, with Apocalypse Now and Blue Velvet. Fonda had a little bit of that comeback with Yuli's Gold because he got nominated, you know, for Best Actor there. But it took a long time for both of those guys to kind of come back from the success of Easy Rider. I just think because Easy Rider was out there, I mean, you look at everything before that, Love you, Alice B. Tolkos, or stuff like that, where that's kind of a fun storyline with, you know, a lot of straight mm. people getting stoned on brownies. You know, you had a few things like that worked into the storylines, but most of it was built around negativity towards marijuana. And, and by the time Easy Rider came around, it was now part of the youth culture. This is what people did. And I think it really opened a lot of doors, and probably a lot of people wanted to have that same campfire scene, mm. you know. 
uh, mimicking the movie. I just think it's uh, the standout of that era. And then of the later years, you know, kind of later years, I mean, it's only seven years later, but I consider like the idea of the stoner movie, I have like two kind of thoughts on it. One is that the stoner movie is a, uh, is something that can, is a, is a comedy and kind of just, you know, just plays into the humor side of marijuana use. And then there's the other side of the stoner movie, which is the drug theme. And the drug theme can be much more serious and it could cover a lot of heavier drugs. And that's what my second book, Reefer Movie Madness, the ultimate stoner, ultimate stoner film guide zeroed in on. You know, one aspect is the funny stuff. Another aspect is the serious. So I think Easy Rider was more the serious. And then later on comes Cheech and Chong with Up in Smoke. And I think consider Open Smoke like the greatest of the ha-ha funny stoner movies. You know, they, that opened the door to all of the movies that came later. You know, Harold and Kumar, Friday, Jane Silent Bob, buddy guys hanging out, getting into adventures and all themed around marijuana and wherever it goes, it goes, whether it's good or bad or funny or not to you. But so, so many of those stories kind of followed the Cheech and Chong lead. So I kind of look at that as the one-two punch of the great stoner movies. Mm-hmm. So now that we're sort of in this age of, of normalization where people expect as the years go on, it's not going to be a big deal. Like if somebody has a drink at a... In a movie, it's not like a, a movie about alcohol, right? So if somebody smokes in a movie, will it just be like, okay, that's just a thing, that, that it's going to be in every movie? Or, you know, what is normal? How is that going to affect the culture? And then also, second part of that is, is there such a thing as a cannabis or a pot culture today in the way that it was historically because it was underground? Does it just become like a mainstream thing? Well, as far as the movies are concerned, I think there's a dearth of stoner movies now with legalization. They're not making them like they were. It was a lot more fun to make those movies when it was illegal, you know, and you're you know, you're doing something a little more dangerous, a little more unaccepted. Now, I, I have to look high and low, you know, I'm sort mm. of the expert on stoner movies and, uh, and I cover it in Slab Stoner, but there are not that many popping up. You know, uh, this year, I'd say my favorite stoner movie is Long Shot with Seth Rogen and Charlie's Throne, because it has a stoner theme that runs through it because of Rogen's character, but there it's not an obvious classic stoner movie, and they're really, they're few and far between. In the last few years, they're less and less, which is making it a little hard for me to cover all that which stuff. Which is my point, that this as this becomes more normal, the word, are we still going to have stoner movies? Is that well, and, and, and it'll make some people happy that they don't have to you know, go through those movies anymore, perhaps, but you know, they maybe have passed their their peak. You know, uh, that would maybe they were uh, part of the Prohibition era. And we're still in Prohibition, but less of that Prohibition, you know, heavy Prohibition where, you know, when I was at High Times, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started there, Bush Sr. was the president, and it was, we were in 12 years of Republican rule that started with Reagan and Just Say No. And so it was a bad time for High Times, too. High Times was just coming out of a really dark period. So things, you know, are, are, have been getting better and better. So from early, from a few years ago till now, there's been a pretty major shift, you know, and it was hard to kind of see it coming that will legalization will ultimately happen. And, and if it happens, what happens and what will happen? And then turns out that sometimes, you know, maybe legalization is not the best thing that could happen. It's good because people stop getting arrested, but the industry that's kind of sprung up around it has kind of knocked out a lot of the original players and has brought in a lot of people who probably shouldn't have anything to do with marijuana, yet they're in it. Look at John Boehner as an example. That, you know, galls a lot of people. Here's a guy who was 
strongly opposed to legalization, and now he's going to make $20 million on his deal with uh, the Canadian company that's buying Acreage Holdings or Canopy Growth. So, you know, how dare he? But, you know, but that's sort of what comes with it. It's a little painful to watch. I also want to ask you about etiquette of of cannabis because in your book that's one of the subjects that you cover right we had one page devoted that's to all? etiquette but the, okay. but the book was you know <laughs> a to z guide to stoner language and life was more how to speak about marijuana and what the you know the cultural history well stoner it. language right a i mean right. we don't even use marijuana anymore right i mean well you're not supposed to adopted cannabis <laughs> which we true. never used right nobody oh. ever used well, there's, cannabis there's non-stop, non-stop arguing in the especially on social media about the pros and cons of marijuana versus cannabis and as an editor, I've been dealing with that for the you know for a while too. And my attitude is, first of all, I like all the words to use. You know, I don't want to use cannabis, cannabis, cannabis over and over again. But I'm finding I use it more and more. If it's just a you know cannabis club or something that has an alliteration or just has a nice little sound to it. But either way, I'd be you know I, I think all the different words are fine. But the, the newer generation really looks down on the word marijuana. They see it as a racist term, reflects the old history of marijuana. It was made to, you know, create, you know, a scare around marijuana. It's Mexican. It's bad. You know, you shouldn't do it. That's what they so do. Like this identity politics that's part of yeah. culture today. Oh, for sure. I mean, stoner, even slab stoner, it's not an okay word either. It's kind of that's considered right. almost the N-word of, uh, of marijuana is to dare call yourself a stoner. Yeah. You know, because it's considered, you know, that's what they were calling you in a negative way, so why utilize a terminology that's directed at you negatively? But maybe you were using it the same way that people use the N word. Yeah. You know, they use it to celebrate it in their own way, and we use it in our. You have own to claim way it to own it. You have it, to claim right? it. Yeah, yeah. We've kind of claiming it. I recently spoke with uh, Lizzie Post, who's the great great granddaughter of Emily Post. You know, the Queen of Manners, who wrote the the Manners book, and she's written a new book about etiquette and cannabis. And so I wanted to ask you how you feel about the the new etiquette of, uh, you know, for example, one of the issues that comes up is with children and and guests and people come over and some people are, you know, don't want to be around smoke. Other people want to be around smoke and you have to manage all these situations that prior to this were all sort of hidden away and you really wouldn't have those issues come up. Well, smoke is a problem. That's why vaping has been such a good alternative because it just doesn't have the smell and it's not, and it's much more discreet and you can do it without somebody really even knowing. But smoking, you know, there's a really strong odor connected to marijuana and, you know, people, you know, are very anti-tobacco smoke and marijuana smoke in their mind is the same and it may be, you know. I'm very, you know, I understand that. I, I'm very, you know, aware, aware of that. The idea that people smoke in the streets more in New York now, it's a little bit more of a liberation because there were so many so many years where people were being arrested for it in New York. Now people are sort of doing it like, you know, almost flaunting, you know, because it's now okay again, even though it's probably not necessarily that cool to, you know, smoke. But if you can smoke tobacco in the streets, why not marijuana? There's, of course, eating, there's tinctures, there's so many ways to, you know, utilize cannabis these days that you can kind of do it without smoking. But smoking is still, you know, the traditional way. And I think it's going to remain because people still want the taste of the flower, the beautiful flower that gets burnt up. That's what you're going to see. And you're going to kind of, you know, start with that point and then roll it up or put it in your bong or put it in your pipe. And so you're going to end up lighting it. Stoner bands. Also, I want to 
you know, finish up here with uh, some words about that since you are a music expert, you still write about music, right? Yeah. So what what is a stoner band and who should we be listening to? Well, of the current, I wouldn't really know because I'm not really following the bands lately. I more or less keep up with the older bands from, let's say, the 90s that I became friendly with. So those bands were of the era of, you know, the 311 type bands or... But what or, is a stoner band? What makes a stoner band? Well, generally, a stoner band is a band that you know sings about marijuana in some shape or you know oh, okay. you know like each album has one track devoted to marijuana or they have a song that they're known for in concert that they do that people tend to you know enjoy mm. i mean cypress hill is a real standout when it comes to the stoner band because they have a big section of their show that's devoted to all their great stoner hits mm. and not to mention you know be real is lighting up like joints you know like the size of a ruler uh <laughs> you know on stage and hot boxing on stage yeah exactly Exactly. So the musicians had generally got away with lighting up on stage. It wasn't the era of Jim Morrison, the cops coming on stage and arresting you for lighting up a joint. They could get away with it. They might be hassling people in the crowd. Mm. <laughs> you know, you can't light That's up, right. but on stage you can. George you know? Clinton is was lighting up in uh, a few blocks from here not that long ago uh -huh. when that B.B. King uh, was still down there at the club. Right. But the Stoner Band, you know, is a band that stands for it, that does something, you know, in favor of it. They sing about it. They they live a certain lifestyle. Is Fish a Stoner that. Band? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, in general, though, Fish is sort of now because Trey Anastasio, the leader of the band, is kind of uh, is a sober guy now because mm. he went through a heroin problem, uh, and, and they cleaned up their backstage act mm. they used to have like breaks and you know before and after shows everybody got together and got stoned together they don't really advocate that too much anymore um but you know originally for sure you know because they come out of the grateful dead scene in a lot of ways they're the younger crowd that's so kind of grateful dead, dead like the prototypical like stoner band is i would that think the so i would i would think so in a lot of ways because you know people the lights go down and the joints go up you know the immediately you know, the, sm the smoking begins it's just a and and, and the, the beauty of like a dead show is everybody's still passing it around. It's not like it's just mine. You know, people say, hey, try this, hey, try this, hey, try that. So you still get the feeling when you go to a Dead and Company show of the old days of, of the Grateful Dead. But, you know, most of those bands, you know, growing up in the 70s, going to see bands then, it was pretty much de rigueur that you would smoke at a show. But the funny thing was back in the old, old days, like of the Fillmore East, when I first start, started going to shows, they wouldn't let you smoke in the seats. And Bill Graham was really strict. And they came around with flashlights and flash tunes to put it out. But they basically the rule was go to the bathroom. Hmm. You could smoke to your heart's content in the bathroom, just don't smoke in the seats in the rows. They were kind of strict about it. And as time went on, you know, less strict and, you know, more okay. But, you know, the rule of thumb is you've always had to, like, be within the middle of the crowd so you don't get caught. If you're on the edges of the crowd, that's where they can pick right. That's when they can pick you. <laughs> I've been thrown out of every club in New York yeah. for smoking pot. I mean, every one, I've been picked off somewhere along the way. So, uh, you know, that's just my reputation. They know you. Yeah, here's the guy, the High Times guy. You're throwing me out. I'm not kidding. Constantly. Well, if they're going to pick somebody. Yeah, and then not being nice because they don't know who I am necessarily. Backstage, no. But in the crowd, during a show, yes. You know, I've been thrown out and picked off numerous times to this day. You know, still get hassled at shows. So who, as who's left now that you would like to smoke with that you haven't yet that 
you have a list or I'm trying to think. Uh, I know I have somebody on the top of my list that I have. Is, is it Obama? <laughs> uh, that would be awesome. No. I hear. I mean, I'm hearing stories now that he had, was a much heavier smoker than. Oh, was he? You know, he during the young. Chim Gang era. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that that was a very subdued tale. You know, but he. Um, you know, his uh, friend his got busted in Hawaii, and I think that's where he really shied away at that point. And mm. he was running with the crowd there, and that was that Chim Gang crowd. And so, you know, he was very hesitant in the first term to really, you know, to endorse it. You know, he kind of had his funny way of saying, you know, uh, that, you know, his his inhale line, uh, that's what you do, you know, you inhale. But by the second term, he really came around. So that was, thankfully, you know, he cared a little bit more when he knew that he didn't have to win another election. He did a few more things, you know, that were kind of more beneficial and he kind of loosened up a little bit about his own use. Yeah, Obama would be cool. That would be a, that would be a cool person to smoke with. I'm trying to think who else who have I not smoked with? Going of the, I have the major players. I think I've kind of hit them all. You got it. I you think so. You got Willie Nelson. You know. Yeah, Willie was my Willie. You, Willie was the thing. There? That was Willie. Willie was the bucket list. You know, where I needed to, you know, meet, go on his bus and smoke with him. When I was at High Times, you know, I met him a few times, but didn't smoke with him, and then didn't get on the bus because there was always a crowd. And one reason or the other, I couldn't get on the bus. And finally, I kind of got on the bus, and I kind of knocked. But that, what's you know. the bus? He had a bus where people would just. Well, out. he has his, his bus is where he lives, you know, on the tour, and uh, and he's got his you know little banquette that he sits in, and you know you kind of sit there with Willie, and you you know, and this is routinely me what he does with media people, you know, and has his little moment that you get yeah. to smoke with him. So I have my moment with him, but I, I've known Willie over. Over the years, I've met him here and there during the high times years. Uh, he had endorsed a candidate for governor in Kentucky back in the mid '90s, and we went to Kentucky and and highlighted that, and you know developed a relationship with Willie. And I I have my own relationship with Willie that kind of goes beyond high times. I started a, a, a well with his you know, help the teapot party, which was what Willie, uh, Willie came up with this idea of this, the tea party, how about the teapot party? And uh, we lean a little to the left and he sent me this whole note about this a few years back after he got arrested, uh, for one of his many arrests in Texas. And, uh, and I started this on Facebook and it still exists on Facebook as the teapot party with a very active base of Willie fans who tend to be a little bit redneck. And they tend to be a little Trumpy. <laughs> no shit. Uh, yeah, they are. Even though Willie is not, and they yeah. get mad at Willie every time Willie takes a stance against Trump or backs Beto O'Rourke or whatever. But so I've kind of had kind of this nice connection with Willie over the years. You know, Willie just took a break. He has breathing issues. He has emphysema, and every so often he needs to take some time off a tour. So he just broke off a tour recently and canceled a bunch of dates. But he's coming to New York this week. He's going to be in New oh. York. On- He's been, he's got this Outlaw Music Festival that he's been touring around with, and he's with Allison Krauss and his son Lucas and Nathan Ratliff and his group. And so uh, that's going to be a Forest Hills on Wednesday. I'm going to head out to that. So. Oh, man, okay. See if well, I can, say I can hop back on that bus. Get on the bus. Say hi for me. I will. Thank you very much, Steve Bloom, for being on my show. Thanks today. for having me, David. Thank you. You've been listening to Light Culture. Brought to you exclusively by Burb, where cannabis clothing and culture intersect. Please follow us on Instagram at ShopBurb and subscribe to this podcast at ShopBurb.com forward slash Light Culture, as well as iTunes and all the regular distribution platforms. <laughs>